Hey, welcome to Life in the Leadership Lane, where I get an opportunity to talk to leaders that are making a difference in the workplace and in our communities. Uh, what are they doing? How did they get started? And what are they doing to, to uh, stay relevant and stay sharp as a leader? And today, we're going to talk to Toby Rowland. Toby is the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners, the host of T-Row in the morning on Sports Talk Network. 1400 AM, 99.3 FM, and it's just absolutely awesome to have you on the show today, Toby. Uh, it's an honor to be with you. It's an honor to be considered a leader in anything, so uh, to be with you is indeed an honor. Bruce, you've been a good friend and a good supporter for a long, long time, and so uh, thrilled when you reached out and looking forward to chatting with you today. Well, I'm excited, and I have a lot that we're going to get in today. This is going to be a lot of fun talking leadership, talking Sooners sports. Uh, but before that, uh, we're we're actually recording this May of 2020. And of course, with the COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemics, the sports world has absolutely been put on hold. And you would think a broadcaster would right now be thinking, well, what am I going to do? But if you follow Toby Rowland on social media, you'll see he is staying so busy. Uh, actually doing some play-by-play -play call on personal videos. And I just wanted to kind of start off with that. I thought, uh, you know, very entertaining. Uh, one of the things I've really admired about you, Toby, is that you've always been a way, you've always been able to engage your audience on social media. But talk a little bit about, you know, what have you been doing over the last, uh, I guess, six to eight weeks with no sports and these personal videos and this play-by-play -play, uh, calling you've been uh, uh, doing? I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, we've had a lot of fun and uh, hopefully people will continue to send them to us. But, you know, it's been, I think we're, we're right around the eight week mark right now since sports shut down, since the night that Rudy Gobert tested positive. And I was actually down and out, as you know, for about four to six weeks before that with a, a back situation I was going through. So it's been a long time since I've had the opportunity to call a game or to do what I love. And I know a lot of people out there feel that way. We've been stuck in the house and we're going crazy. And I'm certainly feeling that right about now. But, um, you know, it's, I think it's been good for me to uh, have some interaction with Sooner fans out there. There's no games to call. Uh, normally this time of year we'd be doing baseball or Softball would be making a run toward the Women's College World Series. And uh, that's not going on, obviously. So we reached out to Sooner fans and say, just give us videos of anything that's going on. You know, if your dog is running circles in the backyard or you're playing catch with your kids. We had one uh, video that was a young man trying to catch a squirrel in his backyard. And we have uh, tried to attach a little play-by-play -play to that like it was uh, the fourth quarter of the uh, Final Four. And, it's been fun. Fans have enjoyed it. We've slowed down here a little bit in recent days because uh, uh, the videos have slowed down a little bit. I think people are actually getting out and living their lives a little bit more now. But it's been a, a way to pass some time for me, and hopefully it's brought a ray of sunshine into some people's lives. But uh, as for what we're, what's going on, I, I'm just like everybody else. My, uh, my wife and I and our daughter, who's in sixth grade, have been uh, – camped out here at the house together and uh, she's been uh, doing school from home over the zoom like this and we've been doing the morning show every morning and whatever else OU needs to get done we've been doing some tv shows from the house they put a little bit of a, a tv studio in here for us to 
record some uh, shows and do some intros to other broadcast, uh, other programming that they have. And there's always seemingly every day, something that comes across two or three spots that need to be cut or commercials. So we're staying busy enough. It's not like calling games. It's not like being out on the road, which is what we love to do. And, and uh, being in the dugout with Skip Johnson's team before every game. And I really wish we could have seen what Lon Kruger's team could have done in the NCAA tournament. But we're staying busy and eagerly awaiting that uh, moment when we can start playing again. Well, let's, let's get into this, uh, the broadcast. I'm, and I'm curious. I know that, um, uh, you, you know, you, you've been a, the broadcaster. I, is it since 2009? Is that right? What, what year? I started, yeah, I started on the sidelines in 09 and play-by-play okay. uh, play in 11. So I've, I've been in this current position for nine full seasons now. Next year will be my 10th year. So nine years. So, so t tell me, what's that journey been like? Like, where did you grow up? Uh, you went to school, I uh, see, at Southern Nazarene. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily starting out as being actually a journalist. So tell, talk, talk about that story, the Toby Rowland sure. story of, you know, where did you grow up and, and how did you get to where you are now? My father's a pastor, a Nazarene minister. So uh, I grew up in uh, Crown Heights in, in downtown Oklahoma City for the first five years. And then we moved out to Mustang, a uh, suburb of Oklahoma City. And that's kind of where I always tell people I grew up because I went to elementary school and middle school in Mustang. That's where I first started playing little league soccer and little league basketball and, you know, learned to ride a bike and all that kind of stuff out there. Um, we, uh, my, my father took a church in Indiana when I was in high school, right before I went into high school. So I actually, here in my high school years, we lived in Newcastle, Indiana, which is between Indianapolis and Dayton, Ohio, right there on I-70. And then came back here to go to college, like you said, at Southern Nazarene. Um, I am a giant sports fan, like I know you are, like so many people out there. I couldn't get enough of it as a kid. I would, uh, you know, play baseball in the backyard by myself. I'd throw it up and hit it and go field it. And I was the pitcher and the hitter and everything and <laughs> would keep standings uh, during the summer and I'm, uh, you know, the Cincinnati Reds always found a way to win the World Series in the backyard. That was my favorite team. And my brother and I would play uh, uh, ball games on our Dr. J goal in the downstairs basement. We'd play entire 64-team NCAA tournaments and kill each other and played football. You know, I played football in the backyard, and I would listen to, uh, my, uh, to John Brooks uh, as he would call OU football games, the, the voice of the Sooners back then during that era. And I would act out the games as he was calling it on a Saturday afternoon. And not many games were on television back in those days. So we'd, you know, listen. And then the rest of the evening, I would act like I was John Brooks and I'd call out the, you know, the plays and I would act like I'm Billy Sims or whoever it, it might be. And, um, so I was a giant sports fan. I used to unveil my own uh, top 25 rankings in college football and basketball as a kid every Monday to my family. And OU was always ranked number one. Didn't matter if they had five losses. They were the number one ranked team in the nation. So I couldn't get enough of it. Collected baseball cards, all that kind of stuff. Well, I was a, a sophomore at Southern Nazarene, an accounting major. I, I was, you know how when you're, you're trying to figure out what to do for the rest of your life, you got to pick something and, I was pretty good at math, and so I decided to go into accounting. It was fine, but I wasn't 
loving it. And it got to that point where you start to realize, man, is this really what I want to do for the rest mm -hmm. of my life? No offense if there's any accountants out there living. That's the conversation I would have in my head. And my dad said to me, you know, what would be your dream job? And God's honest truth, I said, the greatest job anybody could have would be to be the the play-by-play -play voice for the Oklahoma Sooners. It was my favorite team. And uh, to be the play-by-play -play voice of anything would be amazing. To just get paid to go to ball games would be amazing. And so he encouraged me to pursue it. You know, he could have very easily told me that day, that's crazy. You should stick with accounting. You know, that's uh, don't, don't chase a pipe dream because it's very hard to be successful in that field. He didn't do that. He encouraged me. And so I changed my major and started pursuing a, a broadcast journalism degree. Got an internship my senior year at Channel 9, KWTV in Oklahoma City. That ended up uh, landing a job a few years later where I worked for about 10 years. Immediately out of college, though, I was the sports information director at, at SNU and learned how to call ball games that way. Uh, we had a great man at SNU, a business professor named Larry Mills, who was the play-by-play -play voice at SNU. And he knew what I wanted to do, and he taught me how to do it and uh, turned the reins over to me at one point and let me start being the, the basketball voice. And fortunately, we started a football program while I was there, and so I had to learn how to call football games. We started a baseball program while I was there, so I had to learn how to call baseball games. And it was a one-man show, and not very many people were listening, but it was a great way to learn how to do it because I had to set up the equipment. I had to keep my own stats. I didn't have a color analyst. I didn't have an engineer. It was literally a one-man show, and sometimes you felt like you were just broadcasting to the players' moms and dads that were listening on the Internet around the country. But uh, that paid off a few years later uh, when OU called. Um, it was bumpy. I got a call uh, in 07 when the Thunder came to town, and uh, they asked if I would be their, their sideline reporter. And uh, it was extremely exciting. You know, I was working nights at Channel 9, and we love that job, but it's hard if you've got a small family. I, I had two small boys at home at the time and, and was missing a lot of ball games and bedtimes and homework and all that kind of stuff and so this opportunity came along with the thunder and we thought well here's our big break we've been waiting for we're gonna you know the nba is coming to town that's a big deal and we're gonna get to travel the world with the nba and that fell apart at the last second we were on our way to sign the contract and the rug got pulled out from under us so we were devastated and thought we had missed our big break uh, but two years later oklahoma called and, and brought us onto the team as the sideline reporter there and I thought, you know, this is, you know, heaven. I, it's it's not the play-by-play -play job, but are you kidding me? I'm working with Bob Barry and Merv Johnson, and I'm a part of the OU broadcast team. And I was tickled pink. I mean, I was getting to, you know, go to OU games on the road and interview Bob Stoops on the sidelines. And it was a great gig. It's, it's really cool to be down on the field and in the middle of the action. Uh, but in my second year, in the middle of my second year, Bob announced his retirement. And um, we put our name in for the big job and uh, really didn't have great expectations. And knew, we know how big of a deal that this chair is. And guys like Walter Cronkite and Kurt Gowdy and John Brooks and Bob Bear. I mean, it's, it's an amazing job. And a lot of people were interested in it. And so we, we were trying to be realistic with our expectations that, you know, the chances are somebody else is going to get the job. 
and I'll still be happy to be the sideline guy. And as the process went along, we kept making cuts to the top five and the top three, and it started to look more and more like it was maybe a possibility. And sure enough, when that day arrived and they, and they called and offered us the job, uh, we knew our lives were going to change. I, we were, I've never been so happy, and it has been greater than we could have possibly expected. I mean, the last 10 years, nine years, have taken us to unbelievable places for unbelievable sporting events with unbelievable people. And the fan base has embraced me. They didn't have to. There was a, a legend that was in my chair before I was here, and it's, it's hard to follow in the footsteps of a legend, and it would have been real easy for the fan base to uh, not be as uh, welcoming as they have been. But it's been just a wonderful ride, and that's probably a longer answer than you wanted, but uh, that's my story in a nutshell. Well, that's fantastic. I absolutely love that. They say when you find your passion, you'll find your purpose, and, and you've definitely found your lane. One of the things that I, I loved hearing you say is that you had somebody around you that gave you some good advice, and that was your father. And your father said, hey, you know, pursue your dreams. Um, and so I was, just, I was just wondering, have there been maybe a couple of other mentors along the way that, that have helped you? Um, and, and what was it about them uh, that you admired about them as a mentor? Yeah, there's been a lot. You know, uh, Larry Mills was certainly one. The, the guy I mentioned that taught me how to call a game at Southern Nazarene. I, Bill Teagans was a huge influence mm -hmm. on me. And uh, there may be some uh, OU fans that are shocked by that because he was the longtime voice of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I was working for Bill at KWTV. I, I interned under him for a year. And then he hired me to come be a producer there with him for a couple of years before uh, he was tragically taken from us in the uh, plane crash up at Oklahoma state. Mm -hmm. But his, um, his mannerisms, his ability to relate to fans, he didn't take himself very seriously. Uh, he didn't think he was a big deal. Didn't act like he was a big deal. And he had such a relaxed, friendly way of going about, calling a game specifically. I mean, everything he did, doing a sports cast and everything, but specifically re related to calling games that, you know, there was a lot of people out at that time that you would listen to that had the big announcer voice and, you know, they, uh, they, they carried themselves with somewhat of an egotistical manner. Bill wasn't like that. And I saw how Oklahoma State fans related to him and felt like he was one of the guys that had a big influence on me. Bob Barry had a huge influence on me in much the same way. I, like a lot of OU fans, listened to him for years and years and years. And there was something about that guy's voice when he came on the air. I don't know if there's ever been a friendlier voice in broadcasting. It was just, it's welcoming. It's, you wanna, it's like the guy's your grandfather. You want to hang out with him. You can't He's just the friendliest guy in the world. If you never see him face to face, it's just the way his voice comes across. And so I think that was a big impact on me as well. Um, there's a lot of guys that are really good at what they do in this profession. They execute a call properly or they have a great catchphrase or a great voice or whatever the case may be. But the guys, especially with universities, that last the test of time, you know, that are there for 
30, 40, 50 years in some cases, there's a love affair between them and a fan base. And you've got to be likable. You know, you can't just execute a call perfectly. You got to be likable. You got to, people got to want to listen to you. You can't just have the captive audience that's stuck in their car during a game. You're, you're, if you're in your car, you have no option but to listen to the radio. But you got to be able to get the fan who chooses you when they have options, when a television broadcast is available, but they would rather turn down the TV and turn up the radio, you know? And if you can do that, then I think you got a chance to have some lasting, you know, to stick around for a while. So Bill and Bob both did that. They both had that relatability to a fan base. And, and so I think I've, I, I don't know if I've come anywhere close to that, but I think it has been a big influence on me wanting to embrace that style. Yeah, I just I love that. Uh, growing up in Oklahoma, I watched Bill Teagans, uh, definitely a great one. And then Bob Barry, I remember uh, I got an opportunity to call a few high school games back when my sons were playing football. Bob Barry was calling the games at the time, and I was trying to emulate him. Yeah, uh, you're right. That voice was incredible. Uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. You know, uh, I want to talk about a little bit about your, your team and the team you lead as far as your game day team. But before you can talk about Tim, I want to talk about you personally, your leadership. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, when I'm, I'm doing these interviews, I'm trying to pull out, you know, is there something that is there a common thread uh, between leaders? And I was just wondering if you could maybe share um, and, and it, today it may be different than it was pre-COVID or, or even after COVID, but what, what's uh, maybe what are some practices that you have in place uh, in your daily routine uh, each day uh, that allows you to prepare for the day uh, from the time you know you get up till the time you end the day? Are there some things that you do every day uh, that just helps you keep on track? Yeah, I'm a um, I'm a, a, a bit uh, I, I'm an organized person. And it is important to me to the point where I probably overdo it at times. Uh, my wife makes fun of me a lot because I love going to Office Depot. It's like Disneyland for me. <laughs> Any chance that I can go just, you know, get new highlighters or pens or uh, find a new way to be better organized. That's, the, that's exciting to me. I love, I love that. So uh, I got a lot, I got my, uh, I'm wearing a lot of hats. And so, you, you know, I'm doing a morning radio show. I'm calling games in multiple sports. I'm doing commercials for not only the university, but some businesses as well. Cutting liners for a variety of uh, radio stations that happen to be our affiliates. So there's a lot going on in the course of a week, especially in the middle of a season. And if my time isn't slotted, if I don't know exactly what's going on, not only am I not going to do my job very well, my brain is going to be scrambled. I can't handle it. I need to know before I go to bed that night what the, the schedule is tomorrow. You know, and you got to have flexibility to adjust, but still, it's got to. Everything's got to be organized and color coded and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I I like a plan. I'm a big fan of of having a plan. Uh, our pregame shows are very planned out. Our broadcasts are, you know, as much as can be, are very planned out. My week is planned out. I know exactly each day what I'm going to do that day to get ready for Saturday in the course of a football season. 
today's the day I need to edit audio. Today's the day I need to get the spotter boards ready. Today's the day I need to talk to Lincoln Riley. Today's the day I've got to get this done or that done. So I think, you know, in whatever profession you're in, it's hard to find the highly successful person that isn't highly organized. So that is probably one of the keys that has helped me a lot, especially as more and more responsibility has been, been piled on. Um, it's harder during this because not as much is going on. So that calendar has a lot of blank spaces in it these days, which I don't like. I don't handle blank spaces very well. I need to stay busy. But uh, I would say that's on a daily basis, especially during the season. You know, you've got the overlap between football and basketball when you got two sports going on at the same time. There's another overlap between basketball and baseball when you got two sports going on. And in those periods, you're either calling a game every day or getting ready to call a game every day. And in addition to doing a radio show and everything else, that's a lot of preparation and execution that if you're not on top of it, probably doesn't get done or doesn't get done very well. Yeah, I, uh, that's fantastic. One of the, the disciplines I try to do, kind of the same thing at the end of the evening, I, I take, you know, five or 10 minutes and, and look at my, you know, um, look at my calendar for the next day and make sure I'm all in alignment. So I think that's one of the things that I see as well. Um, I read a quote one time. It says that you are the um, uh, something around the average of the five uh, people that you surround yourself with. I think Jim Rome might have had a quote, something, something like that. But I was just thinking about some of the leaders that you have had a chance to be around. Uh, people like Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley, uh, Joe Castiglione, who is incredible for being able to bring on the leadership that he's brought on uh, uh, on his staff, Skip Johnson, uh, all these different leaders that you've been around. I was just wondering, uh, have you been able to uh, pick up anything? Uh, are there some common threads that you've seen uh, that these leaders have? I mean, everybody does things a little bit different, but do you see like those common threads? I mean, you mentioned being organized for, for you. Do you see some common threads between some of those different leaders that you've been able to be around? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, one thing I try to do with, with our team, our crew at OU, is to, um, to empower everyone, mm -hmm. to let everyone feel like they've got a piece of the action, you know, to feel invested, some equity in what we're doing. I think Joe Castiglione, our athletic director, is the best I've ever seen at that. Mm -hmm. He's great at hiring. Uh, and he's great at, you know, being an administrator. But when it comes to dealing with personnel, to dealing with people, he empowers us and encourages us every day. Listen, I hired you for a reason. Now go run, go do your job, and I'm here to be your biggest fan. Uh, my boss at my radio station, Randy LaFoon, is very much the same way on a smaller scale. But he's one of the greatest leaders I've ever seen in empowering people and saying, you know, I trust you, now you go be a reason for our success. Um, I think it in specifically related to a radio crew like we have. We have uh, a large, we, we have the biggest radio crew in college football. It's, it's different than most. Uh, we got a play-by-play -play guy and a color analyst in the booth, which everybody has. 
we have a um, uh, what we call our analyst emeritus in Merv Johnson, who we also bring in from time to time. We've got a sideline guy in Chris Plank. We've got a sideline analyst in Gabe Eichard. And those are just the people that you hear on the air. Well, you know, we have a, a spotter and a statistician and an engineer who you don't hear. There's another uh, person running the board back in the studio. We bring in another uh, uh, analyst in Rufus Alexander for pregame shows. We've got a sideline um, engineer who's down there making sure all the sideline equipment works. So we may have 10 people on a Saturday on our crew. And it's very easy for, I think, the play-by-play -play guy or the play-by-play -play guy and the, the color analyst whose voices you always hear on the highlights to be the stars of the show. And the other people maybe not feel as involved or as invested. And I don't want that at all. I want my guys to feel like this is the University of Oklahoma broadcast and all of us in whatever role we have are so fortunate to get to be a part of it. And so uh, we give all of those guys a piece of the action. You know, my, my statistician and spotter have a segment in our pregame show in which they share what they're excited about that day. On the air, they get their voices out there. Uh, our engineer for many, many years, Michael Dean, has a segment in every pregame show in which he, share, he shares something historic that has happened uh, related to the game that day. Uh, we feature our sideline guys, I think, more than anybody else in the country. They bring it out of breaks. They, their mic is always open and hot so that they can talk at any point. That's not normal. Most of the time, that communication takes place in a producer's ear and not just live on the air. So it's important to me that everybody feels like they are a major part of what we're doing. And I think because of that, you know, that, that back to your original point, that did not necessarily become, become natural. That is something I learned from Joe Castiglione, from Randy LaFoon, and from Bill Teagans. Bill Teagans was a lot the same way, too. So, um, yeah, I think that you're right. I've had been very lucky to be around, around a bunch of unbelievable leaders. Bob Stoops was that way. You know, Bob was a great head coach, but if you ever went to an OU practice, uh, there was a lot of times where all the position coaches were doing the coaching and Bob was trusting them, empowering them. He would walk around and make sure everything was being done, I'm sure, the way he wanted. But he's unbelievable at – at uh, just believing in his people. So I think that's very important. That's, 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 that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. I've always admired uh, Bob Stoops and his approach. Uh, two words that you said that really caught my attention there. Uh, number one is a sense of belonging. Uh, I, I love how you use that word, making uh, your team feel part of it, part of the uh, Part of the the, the wholeness, uh, and then the second thing you uh, talked about was empowerment. And whenever I see even best places to work companies, I see that their leadership gives their their teams, their people, they really empower them. Uh, you you hear that word a lot, and that's associated with best places to work. In this particular case, one of the best uh, pro, uh, programs in the country, and so. Uh, I could see, uh, I appreciate you sharing those, those words because I, I think those are uh, two, two words that uh, really, uh, well, they're difference makers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, 
I've been a part of teams before in which I didn't feel that was the case, you know, where I was not the top man on the totem pole and I felt like it was all about the top guy on the totem pole. And that's, we were all working for him. And that is, it's hard to be motivated to the fullest extent of your talent when you feel like everything you're doing is for somebody else that you don't see some benefit out of it. And we're all, you know, we got families, we've got career aspirations. And I think the other thing is we all like to feel like we're a part of a successful team, you know, uh, whether it's a sport or whether it's a business team, or in my case, a broadcast team, we're competitive. You know, as far as we're concerned, when we go into a stadium on a Saturday night, regardless of what happens on the football field, I mean, we want OU to win. But regardless of that, we want to win the broadcast that mm -hmm. night. You know, we want to have – if, if somebody's flipping around the dial and driving in the car and we're playing Baylor and they listen to the Baylor broadcast and then they listen to our broadcast, we want them to say Oklahoma's got a better broadcast. If they're watching TV and then they turn down the TV and turn up the radio, we want them to say, that's a better broadcast. I choose that. So we're competitively driven. And I think my team feels that. I want my team to feel that. We're not just here to get a broadcast on the air. You know, we're just not here to so people know what the score was. We're here to do the best broadcast in America. It's the same it's the same charge that Lincoln Riley has. It's the same charge that Lon Kruger has. They're there to win national championships. Well, they don't give a national championship for radio broadcasts. But in our minds, that's our intent. Every night, every night, every year, we want to be the best in the country that night. So, and the team feels that. You know, they know that's our goal. And so whether, whether you are on the air with a live mic, whether you're crunching stats, whether you're pushing the knobs back there to make sure that everybody's volume is the right level, whatever, you're a part of executing that broadcast at a championship level. Yeah, that's uh, it's all about the customer experience. Hey, let's let's uh, let's keep talking about your team just for a second because I'm curious. Whenever you came in to be the play-by-play -play guy, you came in to be the lead. Did you did you inherit that team? Did you or or did you go out and have to find different uh, people to come be part of that team? I know Merv Johnson uh, has been part of the the show for many many years. Uh, I got to meet Merv back way back at one of the OU club of Dallas golf tournaments. Uh, so that, that was a lot of fun. But uh, tell me, tell me about that. When you came in, did you, how, how did all that come together? Yeah, it was um, uh, a little bit of everything. So uh, obviously Merv Johnson was going to stay because he's a, he's a legend. And, <laughs> um, and as far as I'm concerned, he's welcome to uh, have a microphone in front of his face in our booth until he doesn't want to do it anymore. He, I, I love that man. He is the, Sweetest, dearest man I've ever met. And speaking of guys who have no idea how famous they are, Merv Johnson has no idea what a legend he is. But uh, Merv was going to stay as the color analyst. We had to hire a new sideline guy because that was me before. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, uh, we brought in Chris Plank. That was actually uh, – I didn't know Chris real well. But uh, Kenny Mossman, who was a, uh, a vice president uh, for – athletics underneath Joe Castiglione knew Chris thought it would be a good fit and wanted to bring him in for the spring game that year and try him out and 
and he knocked it out of the park. I mean, he was he's phenomenal. Great. And he's, an, he's a great guy to get along with, too. That's another thing when you're building a team, and you, especially when you travel together as much as we do. It's important, I think, to have people that you like to be around, you know, not just people who are good at their job. That's important. But also people that you enjoy spending time with mm. in airplanes, in rental cars, in hotels, at dinners, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this job isn't near as much fun if you don't really enjoy the people that you get to be with all the time. And Chris immediately was a guy that we liked. Um, the engineer was Michael Dean, another Oklahoma legend, for those who don't know. He's been on the radio and, and a part of the Sooner Radio broadcast for years and years and years. I knew Michael. I liked Michael. And that was a no-brainer to keep him as well. Uh, we had a spotter and a statistician who had worked for years and years with, with Bob and were great guys. I knew them because I had been, you know, on the sidelines. I didn't know them super well, but I knew them. And so uh, we did the spring game with those two gentlemen. And they were so used to uh, helping Bob and my style was a little different that we decided maybe it would be best to make a change there. No offense, I'm still good friends with those guys to this day, but that's your literally your right-handed, left-hand man. And these were uh, individuals I d didn't really know really well. And there was a couple of guys I did know really well that I thought would be perfect for those positions. And they happened to work with me at Channel 9 and at television. Uh, one of them is Greg Blackwood. He's the chief uh, photographer, photojournalist, at Channel 9, and he told me the day I got hired, if you ever need a spotter, I'll be your spotter for life. Love Greg dearly, huge OU fan. So I called him up and I said, hey, I think I need a spotter. And he's been great. All those videos that you see that come out of the booth, that's Greg Blackwood. Uh, he is a, he's a photographer by trade, so he knows every little camera and trick and where to place everything and, and to make us look good. That's not necessarily what a spotter does, but it's an extra skill he has brought to our team. So, you add. That's excellent. So, yeah, I think it's been innovative, and I think it's been something that kind of our radio broadcast did first that others have picked up on around the country. You see a lot of videos in the booth now, and I'm not sure you saw too many of those before Greg came along. And Dennis Kelly uh, was the chief operating officer at Channel 9. So he, you know, was uh, he lived his life in numbers. Another huge OU fan. And I called him up. I wasn't as sure with him. And I said, uh, what would you think about being a statistician on the uh, OU crew? And he said, I'll do it. And I said, well, why don't, uh, why don't you go talk to your wife? It's going to be a lot of weekends away and stuff. Because I don't care what my wife says, I'll do it. So, um He's, he's hilarious and has been a great stat. So we made those two hires. And uh, the other thing we did is the sideline analyst is a, another role that nobody else had in the country. And we decided to give it a try because we've got so many great former athletes at OU that are always around who could add a different perspective from on the field. You know, it's one thing to be an analyst in the booth and you get to see everything. But it's another thing to be an analyst on the field. Chris is doing the interviews and, and giving us all the normal stuff that a sideline guy would do, injury updates, things like that. But what if we had a football player down there who, you know, could tell what adjustments they were trying to make, could feel the action from down below? 
So we tried it for a year with Roy Williams and we liked it. And Roy had to go on to do something else, but we liked it enough that we thought, I think there's some merit to try it again. Then we did it with uh, actually Dusty and Teddy for a couple of years down there uh, before Dusty went on to uh, be too big for us. And he's at ESPN now, <laughs> Dusty Dvorak. Uh, and, and eventually we brought Teddy up in the booth and now Gabe Eichert fills that role. He was a wonderful trophy winning offensive lineman for OU. So that was another hire that we made that was that was innovative and made our crew bigger. But I think it really added something to the broadcast so much so that we've kept it now for for nine plus years. Um, so, yeah, a little of both. There were there was um, the core of the team that we wanted to keep in place. There were a couple of places where it felt like maybe I could be more comfortable if a couple of changes were made and uh, and then some. You know, we added to the team a little bit by bringing in some, uh, a new position. So a little bit of everything. Yeah, I love that. As a matter of fact, uh, you hear companies talk a lot about culture. And, you know, of course, OU has a culture, a winning tradition. Uh, but then within that, you have the broadcast, your, your crew. You're trying to build a culture yourself. And just being able to surround yourself by the right people allows you to do that. that, that that's great. That's great. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, ask you just to uh, just kind of have some fun here. I, I'd love to hear maybe a few of your favorites. And I uh, just wanted to maybe start with, you know, maybe some of the favorite places you've been able to go to uh, on, uh, as, a, uh, as a broadcast crew uh, with the Sooners. I mean, there's, there's a lot, I know. But maybe, maybe share a few places that you've enjoyed traveling to. Uh, during your, your last nine years? Yeah, I, I, it's really amazing. Nine years isn't very long, but the number of, of amazing places we've been, you know, we've been to the Bahamas, we've been to Hawaii. We went to Hawaii twice in the same month a year, a few years back with the basketball team. And that was crazy. One of them was to Pearl Harbor and we played uh, on the, the base there at Pearl Harbor, which was amazing. That, what a, in front of uh, some Pearl Harbor survivors were in a, attendance to see the game. And that was one of my favorites for sure. I'm a bit of a romantic. And, you know, we've had some great road trips. Uh, Tennessee, uh, Florida State. Uh, we've been to Miami. Um, you know, uh, shoot, where did we go? Ohio State was an amazing night. But for me, I think the – the most fun for a football that we've had on the road was when we went to Notre Dame. Uh, that was, you know, you're just, you're surrounded by college football history, the golden dome and touchdown Jesus and um, where Rudy was and all of that. We toured the campus before the game that day and got to see the grotto. And uh, that was just a thrill. <clears throat> the, um, we, we, we sat in the booth before the game started and chatted forever with the Notre Dame broadcast crew. And what a thrill that was just to get to listen to them tell stories. And, and then you see the uniforms on the field. You got Oklahoma and Notre Dame, for Pete's sake. I mean, you're, you just feel like you're in college football heaven. Plus, we won. That always helps. when you. It's always <laughs> a, a more fun when you walk away a winner than a loser. So I would say of the places we've been – not, I should have thrown in bowl games. You know, they've been to the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl. And 
uh, cotton bowl and everything. So those are always great. I mean, bowl trips are great. But just as far as a, a historic college football fan and a romantic, the day that we got to go to South Bend, I think, is probably my favorite. Uh, I'll give you a basketball one that's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but we've also had the opportunity to go some cool places in basketball. I mentioned uh, Pearl Harbor. Uh, they played in the Final Four, obviously. That didn't go well, but we got to the Final Four. But uh, the year that they opened the NCAA tournament in Philadelphia, um, they practice. Each team is assigned a practice site. So a lot of times that'll be a local university maybe even a local high school, whatever the case may be. Our practice site was the Palestra. And that was really cool to get to be in one of the historic, you know, old small venues where there's, it's just seeping with college basketball history. I like those places. I'm begging them to schedule a road game with Butler. I would really like to call a game at Hinkle Fieldhouse where they shot Hoosiers. You know, I, I like the old places. We, uh, we got to play in Madison Square Garden a couple of years ago against Notre Dame. Oh, you played a special game. You know, Goosebump City. I mean, that, those are the kind of places that, that really speak to me. So, uh, But there's been a lot. We've been really lucky. Fortunately, uh, OU is the kind of place where they play big-time games in big-time venues. And we, that's another thing that I try to remind my crew of all the time is, listen, not everybody gets to do this, you know. Not everybody is in a college football playoff every year, seemingly. We need to really enjoy this because who knows? I mean, who, who knows what the future holds? And when we go to these Big 12 gatherings with other broadcasters from around the conference and stuff, they're always so jealous of the things that we get to do at OU because it's a big-time university that plays big-time games on big-time stages and to get to call those is a, is a real treat. Yeah, man, I tell you. And then I think uh, I got Air Force coming up this year. Army. 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 Yeah. That, that'd be special as well if, if, we, get to, uh, if we get to play. Um, how, about, how about, you know, uh, I was uh, uh, mentioning, when you were mentioning those, my mind quickly went back to the, uh, even though it didn't turn out as good as what we wanted, the Rose Bowl a few years back was absolutely incredible for me. Um, but in, I, I wrote a book, um, published it in 2017, uh, called Find Your Lane. And in that book, I talk about uh, faith. And I was sharing when uh, me and my son got to go to the Big 12 championship when we didn't think we were going to go. Paul Thompson was a quarterback. That was when Texas got upset the last game by A&M. And next thing you know, my son bought me and him uh, two tickets to the Big 12 championship game. And of course, the, the story was around faith because it was snowing. I'm like, well, how are we going to get there? There's no hotels, you know, and he's sitting there thinking, but dad, I got these tickets. Uh, anyway, long story short, it was, uh, it was incredible. And so uh, that's, it's a lot of fun to like reflect on those times. Now, you know, funny, uh, a funny thing with us, I don't know if it's funny or not, but a lot of our memories our enjoyment of a game is, you know, in, in a large percentage tied to the su success of the football team or basketball team, but not entirely. You know, there have been a lot of nights when OU's won and I've come home miserable because we had a bad broadcast. 
Uh, or there's been, there's been nights when OU's lost in sports and the broadcast went really well. And that's your livelihood. That's your profession. It could be that you had to execute something that was a, a bad play for the home team, but you did it properly and you did it in a professional manner or the post-game interview went really well or whatever the case may be. And I've left happy. And then I have to, you know, before I engage with fans, I have to kind of do the, all right, don't, don't be giddy because, oh, you lost it. I have to remind myself because you get so caught up in the broadcast. Um, and some of it has to do with, with our accommodations. Uh, I'm talking about the booth. So our, the differences in broadcast booths is dramatic, especially for football. There are some that are palatial, like Jerry World. Oh. Jerry World's got its own kitchenette. It's got its own bathroom. You could put 50 people in our broadcast booth. And there are some, like the Rose Bowl, that it's hard to get three or four people in. Mm. And so I'm with you. The Rose Bowl was an amazing game. And just being in the Rose Bowl – was an amazing sight, uh, and that flyover was the greatest flyover mm. I've ever seen before. But we also came away that night going, "Oh, this is the worst radio booth. It's hard <laughs> to get our job done. You know, we can't mm. we can't put Coach where he normally is, and the engineers out in the hallway, and we had technical difficulties with getting the Chris down on the field, and so our broadcast wasn't what we hoped, and so." That colors a, a significant percentage of how much we enjoy the game based on whether we feel like we could and, and were able to do our job properly. You know? Yeah. Let's talk uh, uh, just uh, – we're gonna, we got about 10 minutes to go. I, I would love to touch on a few of maybe – I mean, it's hard to do this because there's so many greats, but talk about a few players that you've enjoyed watching uh, so far over the course of your career – and, and calling, the, you know, these, these, these moments for them? Well, a couple jumped to mind. Uh, I think that the fa my favorite athlete to cover in nine years was Buddy Heald. Mm -hmm. um, Buddy was an amazing basketball player, but he didn't step on campus that way. You know, he was a fairly unheralded recruit. And came off the bench his freshman year and made himself into a superstar and worked his tail off. He was in the gym before everyone. He stayed in the gym after everyone. He was constantly shooting and he was constantly in a good mood. He's the kind of guy you couldn't be around and not feel better about life. He was singing, he was dancing. He would get on the team bus and he'd call everybody by name. Um, I remember the, when we were in Pearl Harbor, one of the days there, we actually toured the, the Pearl Harbor Monument, but we did it at six o'clock in the morning because we wanted to do it at sunrise, you know, the sunrise Pearl Harbor tour. Well, you know, this is a bunch of college guys, which meant we had to be on the bus at five, whatever, and uh, it was early. And that bus, everybody got on the bus, that bus was quiet. Half the people or more are back asleep again, you know. And here comes Buddy bouncing onto the bus, just screaming and singing at the top of his lungs. We get to go to Pearl Harbor today. Everybody wake up. This is a day unlike we'll ever see again. He just had an infectious personality that you loved being around. I just, it's such a joy of a human being 
And on top of that, he was a great basketball player. And I'm happy for everyone's success that comes through OU, but I think he made himself into what he is today. I mean, he had some he had some God-given talent, don't get me wrong, but he worked his rear end off to get there. Uh, Baker was obviously another one in that same category. There's a lot of similarities there. Baker Mayfield was a walk-on and had to had to work his way up to becoming the superstar that he became, the Heisman Trophy winner and the number one pick. And he also had that infectious leadership personality about him, that always happy, always singing a song. You couldn't wait to see Baker because you knew he was going to put you in a, in a good mood. Um, I don't know if you remember, but that Rose Bowl game, there were a lot of rumors that he was sick. In fact, I think yeah. he was sick. Remember, there was everybody was wondering, how sick is Baker? Well, we came from basketball. OU played TCU on – you know, let's let's say a Saturday, and that game was on a Monday. I don't know if that's right, but so I didn't fly out with the broadcast crew. I had to call a basketball game, and I flew out the day before the game to Pasadena, and I hadn't got my pregame interview with Lincoln Riley yet. So uh, I had it arranged with Lincoln's uh, secretary, and I was going to meet him outside the team dining hall at you know after dinner at whatever six thirty, let's say at night. Well, at these bowl games in the team hotel. You know, in the, in the course of a, a normal regular season, you can come and go as you want. Some players are staying on our floor. We see them in the lobby. They're up, whatever. For a bowl game, especially one of that magnitude, there is very tight security. And the players are usually on one side of the hotel and everybody else is on the other. And if you want to get into where the coaches are and the players are, you got to pass several layers of security and show badges or wristbands or whatever the case may be. Well, I, you know, I had the appropriate clearance and I get through and, I make it to where the team is eating, and, and so I'm waiting outside. I get there 15 minutes early or so. I don't want to miss Lincoln, and I'm waiting for Lincoln to come out so we can do our five-minute pregame interview in the hallway. And as I'm waiting there, here comes Baker down the hallway. He's going, going in to eat, and he's got his headset on, and he's singing, you know, and he's got his beats by Dre or whatever they are. And uh, he sees me at the door, and and it's not normal to see – a media person where the team is, you know, and he realized this, this is his sanctuary. Normally when he goes outside of that, everybody in the world put the camera in his face and all that stuff. So he knows me being there is odd. And he goes, he looked cocks his head sideways and he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm getting ready to interview Lincoln for the pregame. And he goes, Oh, that makes sense. And I looked at him, I said, how are you feeling? Because, you know, uh, all the reports are out there. And he just grinned real wide. And he goes, wouldn't you like to know? And they just walked in. So he wasn't even going to give me any kind of scoop in that. But uh, funny guy and just a joy to be around. So those are those are probably the two. I mean, there's been so many great baseball players that some of them were stars. And some of them, you know, were just role players or, or came off the bench that it's just a joy to be around. Uh, you get to know them, you get to know their families, you get to know their backstories and um, the coaching staff as well. So it's, it's really, a, it's a big part of the joy of this job is getting to know those young men. Yeah. I was uh, thinking when you were talking about Buddy Heald, I, I was thinking back to that triple overtime OU Kansas game uh, up in uh, Lawrence and just the joy Buddy was having during that game. I mean, he was mm -hmm. so tired but you could just feel it. 
like how much joy he had play, playing the game. That was, that was so cool. Um, and then uh, talking about Baker, uh, a real quick story. When Baker uh, was, uh, we, I think it was the 2017 season, but uh, my wife, I looked over at my wife right when the season started. I said, oh, man, it's going to be a special year. Let's just soak this in. Just soak it up. This is going to be so special. And then we got to the last game of, of the season, and uh, Kyler Murray was going to start that last game. And uh, after he ran that very first play, my brother said to me, he said, oh, we got one more year to soak it. <laughs> one more year. I'm like, isn't this great? We're like living the dream here. These guys are so talented, uh, so special, but appreciate you sharing those stories. Well, it's fun. And, I, I, you know, you, uh, you roll over athletes. So they're only here for three or four years. Some of them not that much. And uh, so it's always fun to see the new class come in and, and the new personalities and, um, and make new friendships. So the last uh, five minutes of the segment, I, I like to call it's time to accelerate. So I just wanted to ask you uh, just a few questions uh, to kind of in the, in the, uh, the, uh, the interview. Uh, first question is a book or podcast? Podcast. I'm a big podcast, podcast guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind a book. I, I like to read books on planes when I can. But uh, I have a 45-minute commute to Norman and back every day. So I can crush uh, a bunch of podcasts. Yeah, me too. Love, love the podcast. As a matter of fact, I, um, a lot of times I'll, I, I started using Audible. As a matter of fact, one of the books, uh, Bob Stoops' uh, book, when it came out, I got in on Audible. And I loved it so much because he was reading the story. That was, that was so cool. Yeah. Uh, how about a favorite place to go on vacation with your family? Um, we're not a family that goes to the same place over and over again. We like to discover new places, but our favorite spot, and we will go back someday was San Clemente, California. San Clemente is between San Diego and Los Angeles. It's a little beach town and we kind of randomly ran into it and had an unbelievable week out there one time and can't wait to go back. So I would say San Clemente is my choice. That's so cool. So cool. Okay. So final question. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of Mercy Me and they have a, a song that came out a few years ago called Dear Younger Me. And I thought about it and I thought about, you know, the question I want to ask you is 10 years from now, what is 10 years older, Toby, 10 years from now, thanking Toby of today for? Thanking him for? Thanking him for. Oh, man. Um, you know, I feel like Bruce, that I'm, I am in my dream job. There's, and I, I know a lot of people say that, but I'm not looking to go to the Yankees or the Dallas Cowboys or anything else. I mean, this is it for me. I'm, I'm an Oklahoma kid who literally said the greatest job you could ever have would be the voice, be the voice of the Sooners. And, and here I am. So I think, 10 years from now, Toby would, if I'm still in this job, would just thank present day Toby for not screwing it up. You know, that's kind of my, that's my number one concern is if you tell me I've still got this job in 10 years, then I, there's just relief that I haven't screwed it up, that they're letting me stick around, you know? So um, I'm just trying to do the best I can with every broadcast. I'm trying to, uh, when opportunities 
present themselves, mentor young broadcasters. They've allowed mm-hmm. me to teach a class now at, at the University of Oklahoma on play-by-play. And, and I remember back when Larry Mills helped me learn how to do this. And I'd love to le- help other kids learn how to do this. And, and so maybe in 10 years that we've got some, some students who have become the voice of, you know, some university or professional team out there, whatever the case may be. And um, gosh, at that point, I'll be maybe uh, playing with some grandkids on the back porch or something. I don't know. But uh, hopefully we don't have any more viruses that have shut down the world in 10 years. Well, I love I, pr- I appreciate you and uh, just uh, just the way you engage uh, and, and really elevate the customer experience through social media and, and through your different avenues, your radio show. Uh, Tell the viewers and, and people listening on the podcast, how, if they wanted to uh, follow you or get in touch with you, how would be the best way that they could connect with you? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm only on two social media platforms, and that's okay. probably too, too many. Uh, I probably should uh, not be on those. But uh, <laughs> on Twitter, at T-R-O-W-O-U, that's a T-R-O-W-O-U. You can follow me or, or reach me there. And then I'm on Instagram as well, uh, at Sooner Voice. Um, and then if you want to listen to the radio show, that's uh, streaming in a bunch of different ways on the Sports Talk Network. So we love it. We get people listening in from all over the country and sometimes in other countries. And uh, it's fun to interact with them as well. So we welcome them all. Well, you have a signature call that you do at the end of the game. I would love to hear you say that. I'll put you on the spot here. But I know you're talking about unhitching a wagon or, or something like that. Once you give us a signature call to end the, uh, end the, end the broadcast. It is funny how many different permutations of that everyone has. I, I People like to quote it to me all the time, and they're unhitching ponies and hanging wagons, and I, who knows what they're doing. So we usually say when OU securely got a victory put away, unhitch the wagon and put the ponies in the barn. So I think that means we're at the end of our uh, interview now, right? Uh, Toby, I appreciate your time today. And just it is, this has been unbelievable. I appreciate you investing time just sharing your story today. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. Thanks, man.